Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Brian Custer from Fox Sports and Showtime Championship Boxing, and you're listening to the Left Coast Pirates. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate, from San Diego, California, he is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. How you doing today, Mikey? Tommy, I'm excited. It took only three months to get you excited. What are you excited about today, Mikey? we are back tom you know normally we're doing the summer series and all we're doing is talking to and don't get me wrong i love it but we're interviewing former players people connected with the program now we're going to talk about the summer happenings we get to rant again i get the mic back i think you just like to hear yourself talk mike but yes it's that time of the year the students are back they're back they moved into school god bless they stay healthy and happy and everything goes well and people are wondering when there's been no sports all summer long, but things have happened and we're here to report them. So Mike, this week on the podcast, well, we're going to review recruiting happening since we talked to the guys at the front office. We're going to introduce a new segment called Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. We're going to look at Sandro's decision and how happy we are that he's coming back to the program. And we're going to talk about the coronavirus impact on college sports and basketball in general. We've had a lot of commitments since April, Mike. So let's let's go through the timeline. Let's talk about who's decided that they're coming to Seton Hall and see. And let's play a little game, Mike. You like games. Let's play glass half full glass half empty so let's go through the list first so on april 27th trey jackson commits he's a sit one play three player from missouri this was followed up soon after by ryan conway committing for the 2021 season on may 4th not four days later jeff nagunda decides to come on for the 2020 season and finally, August 8th, a name from the past, Pookie Willington, brings one of his ball players back to the hall in Tyler Powell. How do you want to do this, Tom? You want to go glass half full, glass half empty? Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Trey Jackson, and then we'll talk about how you think he fits in with the program. Let's take a look at what they look like and then figure out how are we viewing these guys. All right, fair enough. All right, let's start with Trey Jackson. The front office was on, and Pat Lawless was kind of alluding to the fact that we should get familiar with this name, couldn't announce that there was going to be a commitment around the corner, and then two days later, boom, Trey Jackson's committing to Seton Hall. 6'8", 215-pound, small forward, hybrid power forward out of the Detroit, Michigan area. He transferred out of Missouri, played one season, so he has to sit one, play three potentially for the Hall. The primary recruiter 
on this one was kind of mixed bag. He was recruited by Seton Hall previously before he committed to Missouri his, his freshman year. Now he's kind of coming back to that familiarity. You know, the fact that you can't take campus visits, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the upside. Previous top 100 recruit, super athletic, plays way above the rim, can shoot the three, dribble drive, and plays at a high level in attacking the basket. Some of the concerns, you know my opinion on power five transfers, Tommy. We'll, we'll get into that in a second. He had limited action as a frosh, 26 games off the bench, 2.9 points, 1.8 rebounds, only eight minutes a game. They were saying that he was having some issues with defense. We know Willard likes to play a defensive brand of basketball, and there were questions about his conditioning, motor, and effort. So I'll ask you this. Power five transfers who have struggled in the past for us after one season. So, Tommy, based on his profile, glass half full, glass half empty. I'm going half full with this kid, okay? In the sense that I like what he brings to the program. He was a big name being recruited out of high school. He's athletic. He can do a little bit of everything. And I'm not going to give a lot of credence on potentially him not playing up to that ability because it was a bad fit for him at Missouri. So I'm going to go with the half full on this. You're going to make me the bad guy before the season even starts. I got to be the glass half empty guy, huh? I, I just have this issue with the power five transfer coming to Seton Hall. Maybe I got a little bad blood in my mouth, you know, or bad taste. Recently, we talked about this last year. You had the struggles of Torian Thompson, Javon Thomas, Brian Oliver. Some people, you know, have mixed bag reaction on Sterling Gibbs, how he exited the program. And so far to date, I kind of, you know, underwhelmed a little bit in the first year. I, I know it was a transition season, but the power five transfers have not had a good track record at Seton Hall. So I could understand if there's some skepticism from the fan base that could this could just be another player that didn't fit someplace else and might not fit here, regardless of the high level of talent. See, Mikey, I hear you. I'm listening. And I think you're more glass half empty because of the program. I'm going to stay positive on this kid. We're going to see where it goes. Let me take the next kid. Ryan Conway, point guard for the class of 2021. 6'1", 160, coming out of the Maryland area. Recruited by Tony Skin primarily. Other schools in the mix for Ryan Conway were Marquette, Rutgers, Providence, Stanford, and Vanderbilt. Big names. On the upside, we're talking about a three-star kid, but in the top 135 and trending up. 21st point guard in his class as a junior. 27 points a game, almost five assists and four and a half steals. Shoots free throws, Mikey. 80% from the line and he's a 40% three-point shooter. Had a game high of 55 this year and a huge GPA. Smart kid, another one of those kids that's going to be Biggie Scholar athlete. Concerns about him? Hey, the competition levels got that is a little bit questionable. So Mikey... Asking you, half full, half empty. No question, glass half full on this one. Why? I'm going to go back to the concept of we got a true point guard in our recruiting pipeline again. We've been asking for it. We had Anthony Nelson. We got Jahari Long. We're adding another true point guard to our recent commitment list of getting that position filled by a true floor general. 
And I think Pat Lawless kind of kiboshed that level of competition. We asked him that question during the, the interview with the front office. And he's like, look, there was some general questions out there, but he got to see him play in some higher level tournaments where the competition was you know, ratcheted up a notch and he didn't disappoint. So here's a guy who potentially we could be handing the keys to the ship his freshman season. And you got that point guard that's going to run the show for the next four years. I mean, it's just, there's that potential possibility of starting that lineage of passing the baton point guard to point guard again. We just, we haven't had that. Okay. So, so with that in mind, let me ask you this question. What's Jahari Long thinking? I mean, who knows what Jahari Long is going to turn into eventually, but already you're being recruited above. Not necessarily. I mean, well, Jahari's six five. He's he's a bigger body. They're saying that he has the ability to be more of a combo guard, possibly play off the ball. Why can't you put two point guards on the floor at one time? You see it positionless basketball all across the country now. If one guy gets hurt, you need someone else to fill in. You can't have all your eggs in one basket. And to be honest, since when is competition such a bad thing? I mean, come on. It'd be nice to have two point guards on the floor at the same time, as opposed to no point guards on the floor. So I'm all, I'm all for it. Okay. All right. Next up on the list, you said it four days later, Jeff Ngandu, power forward slash center, class of 2020, 6'9", 230 pounds out of the Republic of Congo, uh, played his high school ball in Orangeville Prep up in Canada. Uh, coincidentally, the same school as Tyree Samuel. Primary recruiter was Dwayne Woodward. And other schools in the mix were Western Kentucky and Kansas State. The upside here, he's just got he's got the measurables. 9-2 standing reach, a 7-5 wingspan. He's already 20 years old, so there's a little more potential maturity in his body development. He's got a high motor, good defensively, strong rebounder. But some of the concerns are the following. He doesn't have a 24-7's rivals ranking available. He suffered a small tear in his knee midway through his senior season it didn't require surgery but when he came back for his final 10 games after injury his numbers were six points five rebounds one and a half blocks he doesn't really have a refined game offensively so tommy back to you glass half full glass half empty now mind you i have not seen this kid play i've got no idea what he looks like in game time I'm going to say half empty in this case. We don't really have a real good track record with project players. Yes, we developed, and this kid's a project, Mike. Yes, we developed Miles Powell. Yes, we de- we, we supposedly developed Angel Elgato, even though he was a four-star coming in. But outside of that, and maybe Romero Gill, I, we can name a litany of guys who we reached for that didn't turn out well Uh, and and this is no knock on them but you know some guys aren't supposed to be playing high level basketball so i'm not sure tom i'm not going to make the same mistake and be held to this for the next four years like we did with romaro gill i'm not going to say that the guy is five fouls and then i got to eat crow on the podcast until he graduates you're right so i I am going to lean towards glass half empty as well but i'm going to give you a different spin on this and this has nothing to do with Jeff. So I'm putting it out there. I'm with you. I know nothing about the kid. I've seen a couple of highlight videos. The kid does have athleticism. And you know what? If someone tells me you play with a high motor, that's just something that's obviously visible from watching the kid play. So that, that's probably going to translate. What I take away from this is what led up to his commitment three days prior. The program was on 
you know, Cloud9 excited about Ryan Conway, and they were ecstatic because they basically thought they were going to land Adama Sonogo right behind him to come up with this robust recruiting breakthrough in back-to-back days. But what happens? Sonogo all of a sudden changes gears, and at the last minute on May 5th, commits to UConn. I mean, the, the fact that we lost him, period, hurts. But then we lose him to UConn, another team in the Big East, and now I got to potentially face him for the next three to four years, you know, on the other side of the, of the court. Previously, we thought we had Darius Maddox. We thought we had Earl Timberlake. We thought we had Matthew Alexander Moncrief. And then we thought we had Adama Sonogo. We already had is what you call a bird in the hand twice with Dominguez Stevens and Jahari Long. And because we had secured those three-star recruitments, now the expectation was to go for the home run, go for the big heavy hitter. Any one of those guys would have fit that bill. And unfortunately, Jeff just doesn't meet those measurables from the cachet of a four-star, five-star, put your class over the top. If I already had two big recruits and I brought in a project, I'd probably feel a little happier here. But the fact that I had two average mid-level recruits and then I miss out on four to five big guys, one that I thought we just had, it's not Jeff's fault. It's going to feel disappointing. Okay, moving on. The final guy to sign was Tyler Powell for the class of 2021. Small forward, 6'5", 190. Coming from Los Angeles Ribbit Academy out here on the left coast. Primary recruiter was Grant Billmeyer, but we got an assist from all-time favorite Pookie Wheaton. Other schools in the mix for Tyler were TCU, Stanford, Nevada, Pepperdine, Washington State, and New Mexico. Now upside, the kid's a three-star. His his 24-7-7 ranking was 133. He's got a college-ready body, Mike. He is strong. He looks good. He finishes well through contact. He can shoot the three ball. He rebounds well for his position, and he likes to play defense. It almost seems like he is tailor-made Kevin Willard player. Here's some concerns. He's a Los Angeles kid, and he never stepped foot in South Orange, Mike. This is going to be crazy for him. He's coming a long way. So, Mike, half full, half empty. I'm going to go half full, but you're not supposed to steal my thunder when you're given the bio. He he absolutely fits the mold of a Kevin Willard type player. So, you know, when we sit there and start ranking kids from 75 to 150, we've heard it over and over again from our guests that when you get into that range of recruit, you don't really know that guy could blow up and be a great player in college, or he can completely miss the mark. I like players in this mix that fit our system, right? And, Kevin wants to play that gritty defense. He wants guys that have versatility. We want, we want to attack the basket. This guy does all that. And I like when the player already comes with the attributes, as you said, a physical a college-ready made body. We're great at our strength and conditioning. So you take a guy who's already well-built and you put him into our program, watch out. You also have a guy who wear that ceiling with all this so-called development really could take his game to the next level. He's got all the pieces in place. You know, he's not the best three-point shooter, not the best handle, but he's good at those things. And if we truly do develop this player, yeah, you could see a breakout kind of Jared Roden type guy by the time he's a junior or senior. It seems like that's the kind of mold of players that recruiting. 
how can you not be excited about that? And I'll tell you what, man, I am hoping he some of that Pookie Whittington toughness rubs off on him. When he played for the Hall back in the day, we're talking about a five foot three point guard who had to be super uber tough. I'm hoping he brings that toughness in because that's what Big East basketball is all about. Tom, can I play devil's advocate for a second? Oh, when geez. it finally boiled down, I mean, I know he had some big names on his list, but the final three that we out-recruited, it was us, Pepperdine, Nevada. Any concern that by the end of his recruitment, the bigger names were not chasing him down? I, you know, I, it is what it is. You're hoping he's a sleeper. He played well out here. I'm less worried about that. Where's the player development? You this this school keeps talking about we develop players. Here you go. Here's a perfect player for your system. Re- develop them already. Okay, but I, I I think it goes beyond that. I think we need to continue to keep pace in recruiting. There are some fundamentally nice pieces here. I still think we need to kind of take another step. There are three more scholarships available for the twenty one the twenty twenty one recruiting class. So what's up next for the Pirates? Okay, so we had some names coming up on this list. One actually just committed to Missouri and Sean Duru Gordon. Most people believe that Seton Hall fell out of that mix because of the commitment of Tyler Powell. But the next potential commitment that everybody's talking about is Brandon Weston, whose commitment day supposedly is coming on September 1st. Now, Brandon, he's a six foot five, 195 pound forward coming out of Morgan High School in Chicago, Illinois. Another kid from the city, tough kid. We've heard that the primary recruiter for this kid has been Dwayne Woodward. Other schools that have been mixed is Illinois, Michigan, Wake Forest. He's a four-star recruit and he's ranked 60th in his class. So Mike, we complain about recruiting all the time, about not quite getting those names. If Seton Hall lands Weston and you pair him with Conway and Powell, has recruiting finally turned that corner? I'd have to say yes. I'd have to go glass half full here again. We talked about it with uh, Jeff and Gondu. We already had two birds in the hand. I like the two birds in the hand we have uh, for 2021. I like the upside of Conway and Powell. I think they're both uh, a notch ahead potentially of Long and Stevens, even though they all kind of rank out in the same area. So I really like these next two pieces. And I said, if you get those birds in the hand, those guys that develop in your system, and you add the superstar piece on top of it, that is a great recruiting class for a Seton Hall program who we feel has been in a bit of a lull lately. I'm ecstatic about possibly adding this kid. It came out of nowhere. Normally you hear chatter for a month or weeks leading up to a potential commitment. We're all like, oh, we didn't get Sean. How do you lose out to Missouri? And then quietly, hey, in a couple days, this big time stud might commit to Seton Hall. I don't know nothing about this guy. You gave me the tail of the tape and this is kind of really the first time I'm hearing about this kid in the last, you know, 72 hours. I'm ecstatic. This is a home run if you can land this kid because we have to keep up with what the other programs are doing. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Well, the programs that were already in the Big East were doing great jobs recruiting. I mean, Nova, Marquette, these these schools keep recruiting big names. And now we've got another school coming in making big strides. But let's start off at the top here. Villanova just came up with a monster recruiting class coming in for the 2021 season. Villanova is returning four of their starters for this season. They only lose Sadiq Bay. 
And the worst news is, is that in the 2021 class, they're coming in with three four-star guys and a high three-star guy, Mike, and they're ranked nationally second in their recruiting class. It's concerning. Trey Patterson's in our backyard. Four-star, top 50, 34th in the country. I mean, they are putting guys in the Northeast on their roster. Oh, people want to leave New Jersey. They want to leave the tri-state area, but they're staying to play at Villanova. You don't have a problem with that? Tom, Nova is the gold standard. We talk about it all the time. My question to you, when you land a class that is going to be ranked at this point in time, number two nationally for the 2021 season, has the gap widened too far for us to maintain? Well, I don't know about ever widening too far. I mean, these kind of things ebb and flow, but Nova keeps rolling. But, you know, Mike, let's let's forget about Nova for a second. UConn comes in and makes a big bang in both the 2020 and the 21 classes, Mike. 2020, they get two four-star recruits, Andre Jackson and Adama Sanogo, who we were in play for for a while. And then they get three more four-star recruits for the 21 class. Their national ranking is fourth for recruiting. I mean, it's, it's the bravado of the UConn fans. You, you know what's worse? It's oh, it's bravado. not bravado, Mike. Oh, it's total. Oh, I don't even know what to say about the UConn fans. Narcissism. Call it narcissism. I'm so right? glad you're back, UConn. I hate you with a passion. So, so it's one thing if their fans are going to be in your face about, oh, the almighty UConn is back. You kind of almost expect that to a certain extent. But this is what concerns me. I mean, this is what I always feared or I always saw the potential in a coach like Danny Hurley. I like this kind of stuff. But when you, when you got to go up against it, it makes you scared too. Like, oh boy, is there a 1A and a 1B developing again? And we got to chase these guys down in the future. Here's Danny Hurley at the beginning of January as they start to line up their recruits for the 2020 class and the 2021 class. You better get us now because it's coming. How does that make you feel? Oh, Mike, now there's that Jersey City bravado. That's bravado right there, Mike. And you know what? Every time he signs another recruit, he's putting up a Rocky clip on Twitter, man. It's, it's almost driving me crazy, Mike. But you know what? They're not the only biggie schools that are doing well in recruiting. But you know what gets under my skin the most, Tommy, is listening to all the fans out there going, oh, UConn has improved anything. Oh, they, we shouldn't even let them back in the Big East. Eh, it doesn't matter that they're even back. Seton Hall's at the top of the pack now, and that's the way it's going to be. I'm sorry, UConn being back in the Big East is great for the conference as a whole. I think it hurts Seton Hall. Why? Because, yes, I think them being in the Big East and not the AAC was going to have miles and miles of benefit for their recruiting. And in just two short recruiting classes, we're already seeing that pay dividends. Now, yes, they got to get on the court, and Danny Hurley's got to show that he can coach at the Big East level. But when you put that kind of talent on the court year after year and he continues to recruit potentially at that level, the chances are they're going to be at the top of the pack. And now they have the resources of a state school versus all of us little private schools. I'm sorry. I'm just getting under my skin. Connecticut's he- about to declare bankruptcy, Mike. But oh. yes, yes, you are. You are correct. But you know what, Mike? 
as much as I loathe Connecticut, as much as I loathe Syracuse, these are schools that never should have left the Big East. Of course it makes the Big East better. Of course it brings more talent into the Big East. It's going to stick another team into the tournament from the Big East. This is good for the Big East. It may be bad for us, but we just got to do a better job. Tom, you got to listen to some of these other kids coming into the Big East. You got Marquette with a top 50 big man in the 2020 class, ranked 36th. Plus, they got two other four-star kids in the top 25. Xavier, two four-star kids in the top 100. Creighton, another two four-star kids, plus a Duke transfer. And other Big E schools in 2021. DePaul, two top 70 kids. Butler, all four of their guys ranked in like the 150 to 160 range. I mean, the talent is getting stacked up. It doesn't get any easier in the Big East, but that's the way it should be. Either get with the program or get out of the Big East, man. It's time to start improving what you do. Don't complain about other teams getting better. You get better yourself. But that's my point. This is an arms race. You have to recruit at this level. Everyone, you know, if we land a Weston on on September 1st and we have this really strong recruiting class everyone wants to kind of rain down the parade no that needs to be the standard to keep up with the other talent around you to be a top 25 team to want to be a team that can make a run at a final four it can't be a Cinderella run you got to put this type of talent on your roster year over year so you don't like to talk about recruiting oh, I want to see when they play freshman year tell me when they sign on the dotted line this is like 50% of college basketball is putting the right pieces in place so then you can develop that talent and coach that talent on the court. If we bring a bunch of one- and two-star kids to the table, I'm sorry, you're not beating the Novas and Yukons of the world. You're just not. You know, just because I don't like talking about it, Michael, that's me. It's not important. I mean, you make me talk about a lot of things I don't want to talk about. You love listening and dissecting Coach Willard's quotes. Me, I'm like, I'll let the guy talk. But you know what? Because you like it so much, I've decided that we're adding a new section to the program and we're going to call it... And now, Deep Thoughts. With Kevin Willard. So, one of the good things about not having any sports going around was Coach Willard. He did the tour of getting on podcasts. He was on John Fanta's podcast. He was on a podcast with Jeff Goodman. And instead of reading these, Mike, I'm going to give you something special. We're going to play it back so there's no question about what Coach you're Willard play, said. You're going to play the whole, you're play the whole podcast? No, 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 no. I No, no, no. I, we're just going to play little clips here and see what you think about it. So this first one we're going to share was from the John Fanta interview. He asked the coach, who is going to rise up for this Seton Hall team this year? And let's take a listen to what he said. Uh, I, I, I just think everyone's going to see a, a big growth from a lot of these guys. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I think Jared Roden and Tyree Samuels are going to have monster years. Um, I think Sanjo's going to be the best power forward in, in, in college basketball. I think Miles Kale moving over to the two-guard spot going to give him more opportunities to make plays. Um, I think you're going to see some – I think you're going to see the same kind of growth – Rowe had with Ike. Um, I love to call Mosin's toughness. I think, you know, again, not a lot of people are talking about him, but he's got a toughness, um, like an Alpha Diallo type of guy who can post up, who can do some one-on-one stuff. Um, and then, you know, obviously, I think, you know, a guy like Shavar Reynolds, he's going to get a lot more minutes um, playing, you know, 
again, is going to change the way we look defensively. Um, so, I mean, again, I, I think all these guys are going to have a great opportunity. I think they're going to see more, obviously going to see a lot more shots, a lot more opportunities. And I think I think you're going to see a much more balanced attack. And I think, you know, what I love about the roster more than anything, is, you know, we can play so many different ways. We can go really big. Um, if I wanted to go, you know, Ike, Sandro, Jared, Tock, um, you know, that that's a huge lineup. Well, we can go small. Uh, so, you know, I, I really like the, the complexities of this lineup. Okay, Mike, what do you think of coaches' prognostications for the upcoming season? Oh, you don't even give me a chance to warm up going into the season. You're just going to hit me with it right away, huh? Uh, we got a big problem, Tom. There are not enough spots on the first team all Big East selection team. He's got seven players that are going to become all world performers this year, and there's only five spots. We got a problem. I'm going to give Coach a pass on this one. What was he going to say? It's almost a question that it's like, you know, it's way too early predictions for this. The kids have just been on campus to do to start summer practices. They're just getting their wind. You know, what was he going to say? I'm going to give him a pass on this. Uh, like, I, I get it, but I mean, let, me, let me dissect a little bit further. You want to tell me Jared Roden's going to take the next step and be a star? I'll buy into that. I'm a big Jared Roden fan, as you know, and I, I agree that I think he could have gotten have a big breakout season but but you know as much as i love tyrese and i see the potential he's going to have a monster year you barely let him off the end of the bench at the last season how about you say i see a lot of potential in tyrese and i think he's going to play a much bigger role for us monster season quote it if tyrese samuel has a monster season to go along with sandro Roden, and aiken and everybody else there's a final four team the way he's talking about it you got Miles Kale playing the two that he's never played for with us before. Don't worry, Miles Kale breakout senior season. And Ike, a lot of what ifs and a lot of, you know, unknowns for his development. But he just put him on the same plateau as the development that we saw from Romaro Gill. He raised the bar. If you really are going to hold him to his words, he raised the bar for this team to a level that's on par with the team that just kind of finished as co-biggies champions. Did he not? Uh, again, I'm going to hold off on this until we do the preseason uh, predictions for the team. I'm not going to go into it too much. I mean, what you know, I mean, just listen to what he said. I mean, he said Tyrese is going to have a monster season and Sandro is going to be the best power forward in college basketball. If Sandro is going to be the best power forward in college basketball, where's Tyrese going to play? He's a power forward. I'm not looking too much into it. It's it's a nice speak for the fans and it, it's fun to listen to. Okay, I, I can I can I can get on board with you. Hit me with what you got next. Okay, let's go to the Good and Plenty uh, podcast from Jeff Goodman. Jeff Goodman at this time had a few different uh, coaches on. He had Chris Beard, he had Kevin Willard, and I believe he had Damon Stottlemyre on this one. He asked about, are you watching streaming video on these kids? I think the big thing, Jeff, is. I think a lot of programs used, used to use the April evaluation period to kind of do their homework and kind of catch up on things. Um, I think the guys that have kind of gone out during the year and know the kids and seen the kids, um, I think those guys have had a, you know, a good advantage because they, they kind of know their second and third kids. Um, you know, it, it's – I feel bad for these high school kids because they really – I agree with Damon. I mean, I have, I have kids calling my phone that, you know, 
Like, who wants to talk to a 46-year-old ball guy, you know, on a Friday night at 8 o'clock at night? I mean, I know I don't want to talk to myself. My wife doesn't want to talk to me. So um, I got kids calling me, and, like, you know, I'm having conversations where usually, like, you know, I'm trying to pry pry a sentence out. You know, they're asking me what my favorite movie is. And I'm like, you know, I just, I'm like, I don't know what my, I, I had to go back to my list to see what, what I liked. Um, but I feel bad for the high school kids because, you know, they've missed out on great opportunities. You know, the summer circuit is big for them. You know, they all look forward to that. Uh, so I think it's it, I think it's been an adjustment. And when the transfer rule goes into effect in January, you know, it's going to be it's going to be crazy. Okay, Mike, what do you think about Coach? <laughs> I, I had to try to not laugh while you were playing the segment. I, I got a, I got a couple of things here. I, I'm going to relate to Kevin. My wife doesn't want to talk to me on a Friday night either, right? <laughs> I, I, I get that. I, I, Kevin's bawling. I got I, my hair still holding on, but the wife doesn't want to talk to us. Okay, I, I can empathize. I'm on the same page. These kids want to talk about movies. Kevin's got to go back to his list. What, what, what you got? You got to have a list. It's easy. There's like a, a a good Italian mobster movie, like like Goodfellas or The Godfather. There's my favorite, The Usual Suspects, and throw in like a good fantasy trilogy or something like that. You got to go back to your list. Oh, what you're you so you stereotypical, you Jersey Mike. They, these these years in California haven't changed you at all. But you know, again, who was it? Was was it J.P. Pelsman who said that Kevin Willard is not the most um, exciting or dynamic of personalities? This is who coach is. You know, he's not going to be that go get up and go guy. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, but he, but he's in a format in which, like you said, there were other coaches on this podcast. There was Chris Beard, Damon Stoudemire, and I believe like the UNC Greensboro coach. So Chris got a chance to answer this question too. And we're not going to play that clip, but let me paraphrase. You know, Chris answers the same question and he goes, you know what? We've been more required to get to know our recruits better. And he's actually enjoyed it. He's like, the conversation's been more quality. He goes, but he says the same thing as Kevin. All the kids want to talk about is what is on Netflix, you know? And he goes, I was embarrassed myself. I, he goes, I'm, I'm really not up to date on, on all these shows. So I had to start watching. He goes, so I started watching Breaking Bad. He goes, that's some good stuff right there, guys. He goes, if there's a better TV show out there, I want to know about it. There, there was personality. There was charisma. I'm sitting there going, I like Chris Beard. Do you want to know why? Because this summer, I watched Breaking Bad for the first time, and it is a hell of a TV show. Mike, you're, you're going to give Chris Beard some sort of pass because he picked a show that's five years out of date? And you're excited about it as well, Mike. This is not. We're just picking on Coach Willard at this point. This is just who he is. He's a coaching lifer. He's not gonna be that exciting about it, Mike. I, I digress, but it's it's one of those things where you get almost like a debate style format. You get the same question asked to two candidates, and when you hear both answers, you're like, okay. And then the other person answers, you're like, wow. That answer resonated with me. So, you know, Kevin didn't give a bad answer, but Beard answers the question and I'm connected and I'm resonating to his answer. And I, I think that personality shines through. He's landing some big recruits. That's all I was kind of getting at here. I'm not saying that Kevin gave you the worst answer in the world. He just gave the answer and then the other guy trumped him two seconds later. Okay, I, 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 I'll give you it, but this last one, I'm not going to defend Coach on this one. Question coming from Jeff Goodman was, if we don't play a college football game on October 5th, there is no shot we are playing college basketball in November. What do you guys think about that? I agree a little bit. I mean, I, I just I find this whole thing a little, 
you know, you can go into a target with 200 people um, that you don't know that haven't been tested that are shopping, but we can't put strict protocols in that we're going to test our kids. We're going to test our staff and we can't play in an arena with 40 people. Uh, I think there's ways to do it. I just think we, we really got to figure out the best way to do it. Um, I, I just think, I think it's possible. I'm optimistic. I've been on a lot of COVID calls over the last two months. And at first I, I could tell you in April, I, I would have told you there's no chance we have a season. Uh, but now where we are and what we've talked about, where testing is, I think, I think what we've learned about it, I definitely think that it's possible. And I just think people have to wrap their minds about the fact that if you can go into a target with 200 people that haven't been tested and touch everything that they're touching, why can't we test our kids and test our staff and play, play, in a, play in an arena with 40 people? I just think it's possible. Now, Mike, before I even ask you what your opinion is on that, I got to say that is the dumbest thing I've heard Coach Willard say in 11 years. The dumbest, huh? The Going dumbest. into oh, go a target with 200 players. Nobody's boxing me out at a target without a mask, Mike. No one's sweating at me on a target. Maybe if it was a Walmart, people are sweating on me, but nobody's sweating on me in a target. No one's breathing on me. It's just a dumb comment. Yes, there should be things that they look into to see how safe things can be to play these games. But this is also a comment before you have the masses come back to campus. I saw an article from Carino bragging about, oh, we've been on campus for five weeks. No one's come back positive. Yes, good job. Now show me what happens when thousands of kids get back on campus to go to school every day, to hang out, to go to classes, etc. It's just a bad analogy. See, my, my issue is I, I, I try to come across as, hey, I'm the numbers guy. And, and maybe, maybe I'm off here, but... 40 people in the arena to pull off these basketball games. Now, the only way we're pulling off these basketball games, if they are televised to make the money that comes along with the media rights to put these games out there for a national audience to watch, you have both teams, 12 to 15 guys on the roster, depending on who's red shirting and and medically not playing. You have all the coaches, you have the trainers, you have the broadcast people, you have the media people that are, you know, putting on the, the cameras, you have all the security personnel in place to secure the arena. How are we keeping this to only 40 people? It's just bad. I mean, the analogy would have been better, I think, maybe. You want to stretch the analogy a little bit? You, we're letting people back in gyms. You know, people are starting to work out. But that I don't even think that's the case in Jersey. I don't think the gyms are open yet in Jersey. But it's just dumb. Target isn't 94 by 50 or it's just a bad quote. I, I don't know, man. It just can, can thumbs down. Posi- can I take a positive away from all three of these go, quotes? Go ahead. Kevin Willard is putting himself out there and getting out in the media spotlight on a national forum. So, yeah, John Fant is more of a local production covering the Big East, but John is building a name for himself. You know, Jeff Goodman and the Good and Plenty podcast is a national broadcast. It's getting ears all across the country. When the idea of starting the season in a soft bubble is tossed out, who's getting the credit for being the author of the idea? Right now, because Kevin Willard is out there on these types of shows and he's making his comments after Biggie's media productions, 
Kevin Willard's name is getting out there as the forefront and leader of the program and the movement forward to play. So guess what? That might resonate with recruits. That's a good thing for the program. We don't, we're obviously going to pick on him and not agree with what he has to say, but he's out there doing what we've asked him to do. Put yourself out there. Mikey, you just said a good thing for the program. Let me tell you what a really good thing for the program is. Sandro Mamukelishvili decides to come back for his senior year. Say it again. Say it again. A really good thing for the program. You say it again. I couldn't hear the <laughs> I've never said it would have been a bad thing for him to come back, Mike. You are you are painting that narrative again. I'm a big fan. I got one more year to ride this train. I got one more year to ride the train. <laughs> I don't want him to come back to just be the best player on the team and help lead Seton Hall. Tommy, I want to see Sandro fulfill his dreams and desires. I want to see him be the Big East player of the year, the Carl Malone award winner for the nation's best power forward. Mikey, are are, are we pushing a little much here? I mean, he hasn't even been on an all Big East team yet. I'm not, not to insult him in any way, but you're talking about making a jump from not being even recognized in your conference to being recognized nationwide. That's a bit of a jump, Mike. Come on, the the kid had a chance where he was exploring the opportunity to see where he might get drafted in the next level. So he goes through the process. Now it's, it's, it's a standard exercise at this point, right? A couple teams potentially promised him that he'd be a second round pick. What uh, was the I, Knicks, I bet? I, I had There was no name associated to who those two teams were. You know, he didn't make it onto any of the mock NBA draft boards, which is kind of important. But he did rank. He did rank in the top 105 prospect list that circulated around the league executives. Wonderful. He would have been an awesome fourth round draft pick in the NBA draft, Mike. Can you let the kid breathe for a second? Can you let me me and Sandro breathe for a moment? The the point is, what do you want him to say? Do you want him to say, hey, I explored my opportunities. I see that there might be some potential the year after. If I go back and I produce, I got a chance to get drafted. Maybe it's the first round. I want to come back and be mediocre. Let me set the bar as the second best I, player on my team. I what think it's. Say? I think it's fantastic that he's coming back. I think it's fantastic that he's got a goal to be the best power forward in the in the country. Good for him. Good for him to stri- to reach for that. Mike, I'm going to ask you why did it take so long. Why did it take so long for him to announce this? When you're not being included in draft boards, when you're just making the back end of that 105th list, what takes you so long? Was it that potentially he had offers coming in from Europe maybe that he was uh, that he was maybe. weighing? Maybe. That I could yeah. understand. Okay. If say some European team, maybe some team from the Spanish league or the Italian league is reaching out saying, "Hey mom, we'll come out here, we'll pay you this." You know that that's a real potential right there. But he wasn't going NBA this year, Mike. I don't claim to be in Sandro's inner circle where I'm getting the, the scoop of what European offers were being made to him like Patrick Auto was getting when he decided to not come back for, for his fifth season. But that's not the point. The point is there, I'm always talking about Sandro's ceiling. That's not going to stop. There are times in individual games where you call me a prisoner of the moment in which he's fulfilled that potential. But if you look at him coming back off the injury for the second half of last season, 12 points, six rebounds, 54% from the field, 43% from three, took over a couple games. I'm sorry, the NBA opportunity 
is all about potential. Not what you, not what he put on paper, not what you get to see on a night in and night out basis. The NBA looks at what the ceiling might be and what that potential is. And whether you want to admit it or not, Sandro checks certain boxes that puts him in that conversation. I'm not saying he shouldn't have checked out his opportunities. Go out, see what it, kick the tires, see what's going on. Take it for a test drive. I'm just saying after a certain point, you need to come back and just make the announcement. Okay, okay but, but there are kids that drag out their announcement just to even come to school. I mean, that's a separate issue unto itself, no? Mike, you know what? I'm just hoping he becomes the best power forward in the Big East. I mean, that's a more realistic goal, I think. Come back, be a Big East, all Big East performer. If he does that, we're going to be in good shape. But how is that not an unrealistic expectation? I mean, let's let's talk about the Big East and who is going to be in the mix for a potential first-team All-Big East or preseason list. you got to remember, there's only three of the top 15 scorers returning from last year's Big East rosters. And the early All-First-Team Big East candidates, and correct me if you disagree, Marcus Zagorowski from, from Creighton, Colin Golevsky from Nova, David Duke from Providence, James Booknight, who everyone's hyping up from UConn, I'm, I'm throwing Charlie Moore into the mix if he doesn't turn the ball over seven times a game. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there was a small flaw in his game. What do you want me to say? And, and we're not even talking about anybody in this list that might make that jump from other teams. No, but but Sandro is in that mix. There's nobody in that group that is a front court player. All these guys are backcourt players. So if Sandro does take the numbers that he showed in the second half of the season adds them a little bit, creates more consistency. How is he not the best Big East power forward? He's got to perform, absolutely. He's got a good shot at it. And I, that's why I'm saying that's a realistic expectation. That's a realistic goal there. Okay, but now today's college basketball has become more about the guy in the backcourt, ball domination, you know, everybody stepping on the outside, shooting the three. If Sandro plays to that level and is one of the best of the Big East, the power six conferences that are out there, he's going to get the recognition on a national level as well. He just is. It's it's not outside the realm of possibility. You know what was, you know what, we were talking about last year about whether Miles Powell getting on that preseason first team All-American was a bit much. But our argument was that in his junior season, he was the man. So making the jump from being the man on your team and being first team Big East to potentially being the uh, one of the five best players in the country was less of a jump. You're still talking about a guy, and I'm not bagging on him. You're making me be this bad guy because I just don't think it's as realistic as you do. You see, the problem is I, I might agree with you. I'm just not going to admit it. <laughs> All right, let, let's talk about people that, you know, then hear the announcement, make an evaluation, and then just drive me nuts because they're just putting it out there into the Twitterverse. And they really don't know what's going on in the inner workings of the Seton Hall roster. So here's John Rothstein, who loves to just throw everything out there. Sandro announces he's coming back. Did he make Early a T-shirt already about it? Probably when he sold five. Early predictions, Seton Hall 2020-21 starting five, Bryce Aiken, Miles Kale, Takal Molson, Jared Roden, and Sandro Mamukelashvili. This shouldn't bother me. But does Rothstein really think that Sandro is going to play the five? I don't know about a lot of these things. I mean, you've got a situation where you're putting Jared Roden at the four, which he's technically, that's out of position for him, So you're and you're going small. 
I, I mean, is that a talented starting five? Sure. But I mean, do we not, does Ike not make that jump and start at the five? Does Sandro play out of position? I mean, it, it you know, someone's going to play out of position this year. I mean, we've already heard from Willard that Miles Kale is going to get some time at the two. So, and I don't see someone starting over him at the two either. It, so, it just bothers me, Tom. It's, it's, it's lazy reporting. I got no beef with John Rothstein, but he's a well-known name. So now you got Seton Hall fans seeing Sandro's coming back. He puts out this tweet, and everyone's like, oh, Sandro's the five. No, Sandro's not the five. Sandro should not be playing the five. If he's playing the five, he's not going to be the best power forward in the nation, Mike. Well, well duh. And, and to be honest, I think there will be moments where we go small and you see that lineup, no doubt. But I think Willard's absolutely going to roll out Ike as his starting five play that size card, try to create Sandro with the mismatches at his natural position. It's just lazy. I don't Sorry. know, Mike. Last year, we thought that we were going to see more Sandro at the five. I don't know we're going to see it this year either, man. Uh, I, why can't they just play positionalist basketball and have Roden, Tyrese, Sandro all kind of playing that front court mix? Do right? we see Tyrese at the five? That's a 6'11", kid. I just think we're going to play a lot of inside or outside in a lot of pick and roll with Bryce Aiken. I think you're going to see a lot of pick and pop. I don't think you see as much pick and roll this year. How about that? It's way too soon to be starting to break down the team itself. Let's talk about something that could pretend that we can really break down here. And that's the coronavirus and its impact on college sports as we've seen it so far. Break it down. It's, it might just break down the season altogether. I mean, we were talking about taking a page and kind of sitting back and observing what college football would do to kind of pave the landscape and let us uh, learn for how to put the plans and, and logistics in place for how college basketball is going to play out. And all we got instead of guidance is we've got nothing of the sort. We've got no leadership from the NCAA. We sat back and watched Division Two and Division Three fall sports get canceled. Canceled, not postponed, Tommy. Canceled across the board. And we've watched the Power Five football schools completely get disjointed and split their decisions as to how they want to move forward. To me, Tom, the bottom line is this. I think this is all about money. I think it's a big business. Was major NCAA sports, specifically football, finally exposed for what it truly is, a mega million dollar business with what's been going down in the last 30 days? Finally exposed, Michael? Have you had your head in the sand? Did you drive over to Pacific Beach, dig a hole and stick a head in it while your kids ran around and played in the water? Are you out of your mind? No, I, I've always thought it was all about the money. But how many times do we have to hear it's the student athletes? Mike, what, what have I said about the NCAA? They're the biggest immoral organization you can find out there, man. They they never show any leadership. It's 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 nonsense. Nonsense about this. Well, if, if they were gonna try to hide behind this curtain of, you know, anonymity, oh no, we never said that. Every action that they take right now and every action that the athletic directors of these big-time football schools, the way they address the press, the way they make the decisions to try to hang on to this season, it is clearly all about the money. Hey, here's a good example. Here's two programs that are struggling financially and that are not good at football at the D1 level, UConn and UMass, and they both completely canceled their seasons. So if it was about the love of the game, 
Why, why did they cancel? Why? I'll tell you why, Tom. UConn in 2019 lost $13 million on their football activities. That's why they that's why they cut bait this year. They didn't care about the passion or the last opportunity for their 80 scholarship athletes to take the field for the last time. No. Mike, 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 I am truly stunned. I, I I'm speechless right now. UConn has a football team? <laughs> All right, let, let, let's keep going. I mean, I want to put this more into perspective. Tom, do you know how much the Big Ten media rights deal is collectively between CBS, Fox, and ESPN? Add it all up and take a guess. Mikey, a guess. you're the numbers guy. You tell me. No, 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 throw me a ballpark guess. Uh, it's It's got to be in the billions. You know, talking about three major, major networks with big-time deals. I'm... $2.64 billion, Tommy. Wow. That, that is that's a big number. I can't I can't argue about on, it. On top of that, you start breaking some of these other numbers down. Ohio State alone makes a reported $60 million on ticket sales. And that doesn't even include the parking and the concessions. To be seat and whole fans are complaining about the $4 pretzels. I mean, Ohio State's charging 30 bucks a ticket to park, and there's 100,000 people coming to their stadium. Tom, this is big money. Don't forget about the apparel deals, the sponsorship, the alumni donations. Texas, get this, Texas, $250 million Nike contract, and they got $50 million alone in alumni donations for the 2019 campaign. Guess what? We would have our practice facility. <laughs> You are talking state schools, Mike. So, I mean, this is big money. This is These are state schools. These aren't small little Catholic universities up in the northeast corner. It's big business. That's what we are forgetting. Yes, we are tying this to education and the alumni and the, you know, the affiliation of where we went to school. But this is not about education. This is purely dollars and cents business decisions that are being made. Absolutely. I mean, schools are, you know, you mentioned UConn and UMass cutting bait, but there's a huge impact to be to be felt with this fallout of revenue. And I don't know, people think schools are taking these decisions lightly, and I don't think that's the case whatsoever. You know, Stanford cut 11 sports programs, Brown University cut programs, University of Cincinnati Cut its soccer don't, program. Don't, don't, don't get me excited about Cincinnati cutting. No, soccer. but what, what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is, is, this is going across places, and you know what? It's the smaller sports that are feeling it more than the major sports. At the end of the day, here's my takeaway: it is what it is. We all we all basically knew it. People were kind of you know giving their different spin, but it's big money. It's entertainment. It's student athletes doing the jobs of professional athletes in a different spectrum. It's student athletes wanting the opportunity to compete. I don't disagree with that. And guess what? We all want to watch it. Oh, absolutely. We love it. We sit there. We we plan our year around it, Mike. I mean, come on. I get it. And you know what? Let, you know how much I want it? I'm sitting here and I'm just doodling ideas of what the what the biggies could do, what Seton Hall could do to actually have a season here. You know, everybody, you, you mentioned it before, everybody was giving Kevin Willard uh, the, all this credit about the Willard plan. It wasn't a plan. It, it was an idea, and he had a good idea. You know, start it when there's going to be less kids on campus. 
but there was no plan behind it. It was just, it was an idea. You want to call it the Willard idea? That's perfectly fine. But, you know, there's a lot of different dates when the season could technically start. And, and let, I think we should talk about this. Well, wasn't it put out by the NCAA to kind of a couple suggestions within the last few days as to what they're targeting? And there are four options. I, I think it's ridiculous that there's even four options. I'm just going to give you. I think the, it's ridiculous that there's only four options, Mike. <laughs> it was four options to start sooner and not January 1st and beyond. So let, let's stick with those four and I'll I'll give them the, the respect that they were talking about the potential of starting early or on time. And then there's obviously going to be plan, you know, C, D, and E down the road. Cause I'm not sure if any of these are going to work. I'm just going to give you the date of the season. Obviously there's a corresponding practice date, but in my opinion, they've already started practicing. Students are back on campus. They're in the gym. They're doing workouts. I don't care what the official practice date is. Option number one was to keep the first day of the season, November 10th, no change to the start option two, push it back 10 days. November 20th, option three, five days later, November 25th, and oh, earth-shattering, earth option four, December 4th. I don't get what one extra week is going to change relative to any of this. To me, the obvious answer is Thanksgiving falls on November 26th. That's when the students leave the campus. If you want to give any credence to Kevin Willard and his so-called plan, he keeps on talking about the idea of a soft bubble and the campus with no students being on it, being that soft bubble, that would start when Thanksgiving takes place and the students go home. And I don't think the, any of these options are bad or even it, it being silly to actually come up with these options. Everything's a moving target right now. Everything is still being learned about the virus, about potential vaccines. It's moving. And these are just opportunities to get the, ac the athletic director's time to then figure out how are we actually starting this. But, and, but here's, the, here's the bigger problem, Mike. I don't really care when they start. The problem is going to be when you start, how do you actually start this? You know, you can, you're, you're talking about bubbles. You're talking about soft bubbles. You're, you know, all this stuff is, is really nice, but more than anything, how are you going to set up your schedule? I'm just glad you didn't drop a bad pun there and be like, hey, Mike, you know, everything's up in the air or this is a fluid oh, situation. Or the bubble's going to burst or something. Oh, Mike, come on. No, we leave our bad puns for our segues during the season. But seriously, Mike, let's just say that Kevin, the Willard plan takes effect and we start November 10th. That's that's irrelevant at this point, in my opinion. How are you going to handle non-conference? Are you going to have Baylor fly in from Texas? Are you going to go down to your multi-team event in Charleston? These are all things that you need to come up with, you know? All right, so let, let, let's talk about them. Let, let's start with your first concept of the of the non-conference schedule. And and let's take the, the bigger marquee matchups because Baylor coming to the Rock is a pretty big marquee game. We don't get those historically. And now we are starting to get them more consistently. Michigan State and the Gavit games. Now you're getting the uh, Big East Big 12 challenge and you're getting Baylor to come into town who's going to be a top five team again. That was an exciting matchup. That is not happening. 
No, that no. is not happening. No, this is not happening. These are unprecedented times. Yes, we're getting these bigger games, but you know what? Stuff happens. You know, this year is, I think you throw everything away from this year and you start trying to figure out how can I safely have games? See, I think that the multi-team events are not completely off the table. I don't think they're prepared to pull them off the way they're supposed to. But if you think about it, you have eight teams in most of these scenarios coming into an isolated bubble type environment where you have a venue that's already been determined. I just don't think they have the protocols in place to make it a bubble event at this point in time, but the structure's kind of there if you can get the teams into that place. But the problem is not everybody can travel to Charleston without flying. Right? Yeah, but Mike, but that's not even the, but that, that's not even my concern. You now have to take these eight teams and make sure that each of these eight teams are following protocols at home that you are comfortable with. Why can't it just be about testing? If they come and, and they, they have to get tested on a consistent basis, why can't that be the standard? Okay, they show up at these events, they get tested. What's been done in the bubbles for the NBA, for the NHL, is that they still quarantined prior to playing that first game. You're not quarantining for two weeks in Charleston before playing that MTE. So okay. you okay. don't have the same precautions that the pros are having. What do we do, Mike, instead? I'm thinking everything gets slid off the table, Mike. Okay, Tommy, I don't disagree with you. Because, I mean, and there's no perfect answer here. So we're not coming out as like the, the infectious disease experts here. But the idea by Jeff Goodman and many others is still focused around the bubble theme. And now we're talking about the concept of doing regionalized pods in these bubbles in like, you know, two or three week segments. We're, we're not going to put the student in a three month, four month bubble environment. That's treating them too much like a professional athlete. But maybe a isolated window where it's a two to three week bubble. You play more basketball games than just two or three. Maybe you're playing seven or eight in a condensed window. You leave that bubble. You go back to your studies. You come back to another bubble situation you know, a month later for another two or three weeks. And we kind of find segments where we get seven games here, six games there. And hey, we're probably not playing 30 games in a season, but maybe you could get 20, 18, maybe you play a conference schedule, but the pod concept is what's being floated around. So, so let's stick with the pod concept. How do you feel about if I can quarantine before I get to the, the pod or I get to the site for my pod group, I quarantine for seven days, and then we get a truncated schedule with a bunch of basketball for two weeks. You're talking about six games, seven games. How long How long are you going to have these kids in a the pod? They normally play one or two games a week. So if you're talking about six games, you're talking about a 21-day stay somewhere. You're, if you're asking them to play more games in a short amount of time, you get more risk at that point. These kids, their bodies aren't used to playing that many games in a shortened period of time. You're you're at the risk of injury at that point. What do they do in the other days? They're playing video games when they're when they're back on campus. They and they're practicing. not playing games, which are they're fully playing, they're more. Going, now they're going full out practicing. These are eighteen to twenty. No, that's kids. not how it works, Mike. That's not how. There's a reason why rookies hit the wall in the NBA. It's because they're not used to playing this many games. 
you don't see the bigger problem. We keep on talking about the mental aspect of putting a young individual into a uh, bubble environment. Yeah. This is all about us as the fans and what's best for us as the fans to watch as many games as possible, to put this on television so the schools can make the money. This is not about the student. If the student decides that, yes, this environment, this is how I want to participate this college athletic season, and I'm willing to sign up for it, I guess everyone should have the opportunity to opt in or opt out if that's what they want to do. But let's make you know no mystery about it. This is not about being a student athlete at this point. This is all about putting on a show to play college basketball for an audience with a dollar sign behind for the media contracts that are paying for it. I'm, just, I, I'm happy that smarter people than me are in charge of this, Mike. I, look, there are so many different ideas could be floated around, but here's my bigger concern. I don't want to be sour grapes and gripes leading into the season. It'd be nice to know what the plan of action is if option A presents itself. Like, okay, here's where we're at on November 15th. We're starting the season. Here is the protocol. If we start on November 25th, here is the protocol. It's my biggest issue right now with going back to education. We're a couple days away from sending our, our son back to virtual learning and other kids are getting sent back to in-person on-campus education. And we don't know what the plan is. We'll figure it out as we go. That's just a recipe for disaster, if you ask me. Unfortunately, I think we're going to be back out there. We're going to give it a go. And it's going to be on the fly. And my gut tells me once this thing kind of spreads again, we're back to canceling the season, Tommy. So, so Mike, let, let's let's talk about how we would schedule this season. Just real quick and dirty here. What's the most important uh, thing about this? I think it's mitigating risk. I sure. go, if you travel, sure. if you travel too far, I think you're expanding that potential risk there. Here you want to mitigate risk, okay? Sure. So how, how's this tickle you? We play local games. Anything that is in a driving distance, in a, in a let, let's say five hours is the max that you want to be actually keeping these kids on a bus driving down to a game, all right? What kind of games can we get? We can get Nova. We can get the all the Philly games. We can we can make it down to Georgetown in five hours from South Orange. I've done it. I know it can be done. You can get up to Connecticut. You can play in New York. You can make a nice, decent schedule out of playing local games. But if, if this all doesn't translate, Tom, into the potential of a legitimized NCAA tournament, where there's the ultimate prize at the end of the road, then great, we played some college basketball. Right now, the MLB season feels like a fake season to me. You got teams that have played half the number of games as some of the other teams in the standings, and they're going to decide who makes the playoff based on winning percentage. How are we deciding who's going to make the NCAA tournament? How do you crown a champion? How do you decide who's, you know, who represents each conference? You give the NCAA selection committee a lot more credit than I do, Mike. Yes, your conference, your conference championships are probably out the window. Take a look at the Big East. The Big East is no longer the Big East. It's the Big East. It's kind of the Big East Midwest. I get it. You're not going to fly out to the Midwest or you shouldn't be. You probably shouldn't be flying out to the Midwest for games. 
You do what you can. This season is going to be one of those crazy seasons. Would you prefer it to be canceled? Or would you prefer to see something that may not be exactly what's been in the past? Just giving you the other side of the coin. Of course I want to see them play. I want to have the podcast. I want to dive into deep thoughts with Kevin Willard week after week. Of course, I'm I'm excited, man. I'm just trying to be realistic. At the end of the day, I am with you. Safety has to be the forefront of the priority. And no matter what plan gets put out, if teams start testing positive, you got to pull them out of the equation. And that's going to be frustrating because you're going to have some programs that just decide to walk away midseason and say, that's it, we're not playing anymore. Or they're going to forfeit games. I don't know. But the problem is I don't think you can truly take these young kids and isolate them in a bubble to just play sports and have them truly focus on their academics. And at the end of the day, that makes me take a step back and ask ourselves, are we doing the right thing playing college basketball? Well, are we doing a right are we doing a right thing with playing any college sport? And you know, let's just end it in this manner. What is our one hope and wish for this season? Final four for the Pirates. <laughs> I want all the kids to stay healthy. I want them to be safe. I want them to be healthy. And I hope we can play a season in a safe manner. I'll I'll end on this. I agree. I would also like to see that there is continuity that the NCAA finds a way to financially get through this hurdle, make sure they have a tournament this year. So we have prosperous college basketball in a similar format for years to come. There's this big cloud over it all that if this season implodes like it did last year and the revenue from the NCAA tournament is not realized that you might see the entire structure of all this blow up. So yes, I, I want to see basketball this year. I want to see it healthy and safe. I want to see basketball going forward. And I don't want to see a smaller school like the Pirates get squeezed out because of financial implications. I just don't. Well, I know it's early, Mike. We don't know when the season will actually start. But you know what, Mike? Go Big Blue. Go Pirates. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcast, which include interviews with former players, Mark Bryant, Danny Calandrillo, Adrian Griffin, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkoharski, I am Mike Dizzy Deziri, and you have been listening to Left Coast Pirates. Thank <laughs> you.